0: Okay, on today's show, we're re-airing an episode from a number of years ago. It's about the term woo-woo. So woo-woo kind of refers to explanations that are somewhat supernatural in nature, that look past the bare bones of reality and the most logical explanations towards other explanations based on intuition or belief. Okay, I think that's fair enough. And one of the reasons we're re-airing it is that the day after this show airs, We're going to run a show about Occam's Razor, which is a philosophical principle, many, many, many centuries old, that argues in a different direction. Occam's Razor basically says you shouldn't seek out explanations that are not purely factual and based on things that exist in reality and are known unless there's no other way to explain what you're saying. So that's why we're doing a show about woo-woo. That wasn't a very good explanation, but it's a very good episode, as I recall. So get ready.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare.
2: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZepBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashanker, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us more.
1: ZepBound helps decrease
2: hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to
1: utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity.
2: For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umeshanker has advice on the first most important step. I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. Greg,
3: don't you and the wife have another little one on the way?
2: Why, yes, we do.
3: Well, I really want you to read this pamphlet that I wrote. It lays out the basic ideas of quantum homeopathic OBGYN. Did you know that neutrinos in the womb can interfere with fetal development?
2: Uh, that's, uh, no.
3: But this new theory uses quantum entanglement to prevent that. We change the spin of a photon in a remote location to alter the behavior of particles
1: in the womb. Kion, I can't believe, first of all that you believe in this woo-woo crap, and second of all, that you would suggest that my wife and I put the health of our precious offspring in the hands of some crazy woo-woo nut idea.
3: Well, Greg, maybe I misjudged you. I, I didn't expect an inflexible Western attitude toward new ideas, but I attribute that to what traditional Chinese medicine calls kidney yin deficiency. Yin describes the functions of the body that are cooling, nourishing, moistening, and substantial. Without enough yin, the body gets hotter and it dries out.
2: Actually, that's exactly how I've been feeling lately. Do you think
1: I really have kidney yin deficiency?
3: I don't just think so. I I know so. I mean, he's nodding right now.
1: Uh, who's nodding?
3: The angel standing next to you. Hey, I got this, okay? Go watch Birdman again or something. He's a nice angel, but he can be kind of a Budinsky know-it-all.
1: Okay, backing
3: slowly away now... Today on the show, if the world is divided between woo-woo and science, which umpires get to make the call? And now he purchased edible sunlight from Dr. Oz, Colin McEnroe.
0: All right. So, yes. Uh, that sort of is the question, the question about the umpires. Actually, in Tom Stoppard's The Hard Problem is a play about the question of consciousness. What is consciousness? Where is consciousness? But in its characters debate this question without using the term woo-woo. Uh, th- and there's one perfectly phrased moment. I mean, I wish I owned the script or something because it's, it's, it basically, one of the characters talks about the things that are, are accepted science that include things like quantum entanglement and, and, and quantum weirdness, the behavior of particles that seems to defy uh, what we think about logical physical reality, um, and, and then the things that are dismissed. And he just sort of talks about, uh, this isn't the image he, he uses, but he, he kind of talks about it like who's who's the guy there at that velvet rope that lets some people in and keeps some people out. It doesn't seem to this particular character as though all those decisions are made fairly or reasonably that some of them seem, to him anyway, arbitrary and capricious. So, and that's something that I've been thinking about a lot too. And there is this term woo-woo. Not everybody knows it. Not everybody uses it. It's most often, I think the person at whom it is most often directed um, by a, a wide margin, is Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra, I think, stands in the minds of a lot of people for everything woo-woo. And 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 in that sense, I think it means uh, everything that contravenes um, a very strict medical and scientific model for understanding the world. Um, but our guests will also enlarge upon this. So let me tell you about our guests. Uh, because this is the conversation I, I want to have. I, I It's going to be a difficult conversation to have because, in fact, this, the frontiers of this question are, they have very twisty, turny boundaries, but uh, bear with us anyway. Uh, Michael Shermer is with us, uh, and not for the first time. He's a science writer, historian, and founder of the Skeptics Society, so you know which side he's on already. Uh, the author of a dozen books, including the New York Times bestselling, The Believing Brain and The Moral Arc. Uh, Stuart Hameroff is with us, an anesthesiologist and professor at the University of Arizona. He's known for his research in theory and theories on quantum consciousness. He is, therefore, implicitly perhaps on a different side. A little bit later, we'll talk to Jess Tomlinson, a life coach out of Las Vegas, who I shouldn't be chuckling because I, mean, but I should say, I haven't really picked a side in this debate. I mean, I really am with stop art. I have some questions about sort of what gets accepted and what doesn't. Uh, Jess Tomlinson is a life coach out of Las Vegas who's created what's called Radiant Self-Care, a method to help busy women feel more relaxed and fulfilled in their lives. And she's on specifically also because she made a video about the term woo and why she objects to it. So um, stay with us, but I, I'd sort of like to sort of establish the, the ground rules and the ground work here before we do this. Uh, Michael Shermer, I'm going to start with you. Um, do we even know where this term woo-woo comes from?
1: Um, I don't actually. I I started using it, oh, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, uh, ago or so, uh, in, describing Deepak Chopra's um, Narrative stories he tells, his style of speaking about these things, and, uh, and and roughly speaking, it it means you've gone too far beyond the uh, solid sound science and into s- so much speculation that you're pretty much off the page of science, and that's kind of what we mean by woo-woo. Uh, g- generally, you know, ESP, psychic power, anything is possible. Human potential is wide open. We believe just about everything. Uh, it's as we like to say, having a, a mind so open that your brains fall out, and <laughs> that that's too open-minded. You know, you, we don't want to be that open-minded because there's a lot of ideas that are simply not not correct; they're wrong. And um, and then there's ideas we're very confident that we know, and then there's the sort of borderlands in between. So, woo describes not the borderlands, but going going beyond that. Although I, th- I think that
0: boundary line between the borderlands and beyond them is a moving one, one that shifts around. So um, let's um, let's take something like transcendental meditation. OK, so it's introduced in the 1960s. You get a mantra. Eventually it comes out. Some of the practitioners think that they can fly or hover or something a little bit. Uh, it's all under the purview of the Marishi Mahesh Yogi. Uh, so what could be more woo-woo? But lately... Um, transcendental meditation and related practices have been the focus of a lot of scientific inquiry, neuroimaging studies, even investigations into whether TM and and related practices can reduce inflammation. Uh, and this is being done, again, you know, at... Very uh, highly accredited and revered medical schools. So is that, I mean, I I think probably not that the term woo-woo was in high circulation in the 70s and 80s, but transcendental meditation probably would have been a pretty comfortable fit with woo-woo back then, but not so much now.
1: Well, um, it depends on the particular claim that's being made. If you're talking about it allows you to fly, that would be woo-woo. If you're talking about Transcendental Meditation or Meditation of Any Kind, uh, lowers your blood pressure, reduces stress, um, improves uh, health and recovery from illness because of physiological changes, that are instituted by you know certain um, uh, thought patterns that happen during meditation. That's not woo woo. That's that's science, uh, or at least it's in the borderlands, or it's being tested. Uh, and and another another thing we like to say about um, alternative medicine is is that you know what you call alternative medicine that has evidence. And the answer is medicine. There's really only scientific medicine, and everything else that hasn't been tested. And that would apply to any of these kinds of claims, that uh, to the extent that TM does something effective, well, if we can measure it and test it, then we can say, yes, all right, then this is what you should do to reduce blood pressure or whatever. And, and, and if it gets into something like flying, no, uh, you know, there's no evidence for that, and then you're off the page of science there.
0: All right, I'm going to bring Stuart Hameroff into this conversation, but we're not going to get to quantum consciousness yet because I think there are some areas where uh, Stuart Hameroff and Michael Shermer probably are on the same page about what's woo-woo and what isn't. Um, And so, um, since he's talking about that, Stuart Hameroff, one thing we also know is that I can go to any, almost any major hospital now, uh, and and some of the most um, accredited and and lauded uh, medical institutions in America, uh, and find an integrative medicine department. can go to the Cleveland Clinic, to their integrative medicine department, and get Reiki treatment. And Reiki treatment, I don't know, somebody else could probably describe what Reiki treatment is uh, better than I could, but it does sort of deal with kind of invisible and basically undocumented energies. So um, Stuart Hemroth, uh, as as a um, man of medicine... Um, Are you, first of all, surprised at the degree to which a lot of things which were emphatically woo-woo, and I mean, departments of integrative medicine now offer acupuncture, which is sometimes referred to as gateway woo, uh, and dietary supplements supplements and botanicals, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, stuff like that. Um, I can get that at the Mayo Clinic. I can get it at the Cleveland Clinic. Does that, first of all, surprise you? Is that a change you weren't expecting?
2: well you can get it at the university of arizona also andy wild has the integrative medicine program the whole problem uh, here is the question of what health is and what well-being is and uh, they are states of consciousness or of life and we don't know for sure what life is and we don't know what consciousness is now the classical uh, standard approach that michael has been assuming for all these years is that a reductionist materialist approach in which the brain is a computer and neurons fire and when you get sufficient complexity you get consciousness and that is clearly not true for many reasons as uh, the hard problem Uh, Raises and more and more evidence suggested that suggests that life at its core and consciousness at its base are quantum effects and there's non-locality and uh, coherence in the brain and in living systems and that's the basic uh, basic uh, essence of life and consciousness. So all this, what you call or what Michael's is calling woo-woo. Maybe kind of spin offs of that, but Reiki and acupuncture are around because they work. Now, if we can't explain how they work, uh, then they're called woo, but we can't explain how a lot of things work that we do. So I think actually uh, life and consciousness are quantum effects, quantum coherence, and we just have to deal with that fact. Uh, photosynthesis plants take uh, photons from the sun, turn them into food, without that, uh, animals wouldn't couldn't live and we couldn't live and photosynthesis is a quantum effect Um it it requires uh... transport of uh... energy from one part of uh... protein complexes to another by quantum superposition uh, traveling uh, through multiple places at the same time, so life and consciousness, are, at their core, are quantum effects. And uh, Michael, in the past, has ruled this out and belittled it, and I think he's wrong about that. Well, uh,
0: can I? Can we just delay the quantum stuff and the quantum consciousness stuff stuff for a little bit? Because I, I, do want to kind of lay this groundwork a little bit more and just talk about ways in which it really does sort of play out in the common sphere. So, Michael Shermer, I mean, it you know, it, it is true that I can go to the Cleveland Clinic, which is you know, I mean, about as uh, rep- reputable a medical institution as there is in America, and if I choose the integrative medicine uh, services, yeah, I can get acupuncture, I can get something called holistic psychotherapy, I can get Reiki, which does involve uh, universal life source energy, I can get Chinese herbal therapy. So do you feel in some ways as though the armies of Wu have, have really taken over some territory that, that, that you and others were trying to defend from them?
1: <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way, yeah, but not always. Uh, first of all, um, the fact that it's in a reputable hospital doesn't doesn't mean that much. Hopefully, there's been some screening. But you know, back in the late 90s, there was a popular movement called Therapeutic Touch in which in reputable hospitals, in surgery rooms, there was a Therapeutic Touch practitioner who was massaging the energy field of patients that were undergoing surgery. And uh, this was tested, of all things, by an 11-year-old girl named Emily Rosa, who published this in the Journal of the the American Medical Association, where she tested whether therapeutic touch practitioners could actually detect the energy field of a subject that they couldn't see. In other words, they were behind a cardboard barrier. Emily held her hands uh, through these two little cutout slots, and they had to determine, uh, or, or the practitioners held their hands under these two little cutout slots in the cardboard, and Emily would hold her hand above one of the hands or the other hand, but they didn't know which, and they did know better than chance, guessing. Uh, so, things like that uh, creeped into the medical establishment uh, somehow without any testing. And uh, so that does happen. Now, things like acupuncture, we have to take them one claim at a time. Things like acupuncture may work for reasons other than what some of the practitioners believe, which is having to do with energy fields and chakras and and, and points in the body where these energy fields um, are centered and so on. Uh, there was a big study done in 2003 in um, Germany on uh, patients, uh, that experienced chronic pain. And uh, so, you know, one, one group got no treatment at all. Another group got real acupuncture treatment and a third group got faux acupuncture treatment that is the needles were put randomly uh, they weren't properly needled that is that you know the needles weren't tweaked and touched in the appropriate way and so on and uh, predictably the acupuncture group did uh, much better in in lowering getting a lower pain experience than the n- no treatment group but interestingly there was no difference between the so-called real acupuncture group and the faux acupuncture group in other words it didn't really matter where you stuck the needles or where Whether the needles were needled properly or tweaked properly, it didn't make any difference at all. It seems to be just the effect of being touched, poked, prodded, cared for— um, is is what made the difference, and and again, this was on a, a su- something subjective. You know, chronic pain. This is not like you know curing AIDS or cancer or something like that. Uh, so there, so acupuncture may work for some other reason we don't fully understand. That you know, being cared for, tender loving care, this sort of thing makes a difference to people uh, for subjective things like that. So, um, you know, Michael, if you were to,
0: I mean, you kind of did this at the beginning, but if you were to sort of say what the, what the bright line is, I mean, let's say that you um, that really did want to verify the claims of acupuncture and that they really did work along meridians and stuff like that instead of the way that you just said, um, what does it take? What does it take for something to acquire the status of scientific tr- uh, truth and shed the label of woo-woo?
1: Uh, two things. One, you need... Um, data you need the actual experiments and results that are replicated uh, n- by by many labs, different labs, not not just one lab. And then you need some kind of theory or mechanism behind it. Uh, just take some other things from the history of science, like like um, uh, continental drift. You know, this was proposed in the 1920s by Alfred Wegener because he could see on a global map that it looks like the continents used to be pl- pieced together. Uh, but scientists didn't accept it until the 1960s when there was a mechanism discovered because what could possibly move something as big as a continent? And that turned out to be plate tectonics and these giant cells beneath the continents that move them very slowly. Um, Same thing with... um uh, well, just, just to back, back to what we were talking about, uh, the, the reason consciousness is called the hard the problem is because we don't have an explanation for it yet. Uh, so there's lots of different theories. Uh, you know, Stuart Hamroff's theory is one, but, but there's many. Uh, no one of which has a consensus among scientists. Uh, so, uh, and again, on a related, not quite related topic, but you take something like global warming, you know, 97% of papers, scientific papers, agree global warming is real and human-caused. Well, what about the other three percent? The other three percent have no consistency about an alternate challenge to the mainstream theory, uh, you know that that uh, that uh, greenhouse gases cause it. Um, and and so what we're looking for in science is some kind of convergence of evidence from multiple lines of inquiry, many labs finding the same findings over and over, replicated. And even though there's always going to be some small percentage of skeptics, which is fine, uh, but we reach consensus when you have lots of data that's replicated and a theory or mechanism behind it that explains what the cause is, and that's how you get consensus science. So
0: let me just push back at that just for fun. Can
2: I, uh, can I say yeah, there? go ahead, Stuart. Sure. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, you know, um, that's not entirely true. For example, the idea that the brain is a computer for which we're spending billions, if not trillions of dollars for brain mapping. And possible downloading. There's absolutely no evidence for that. It's an assumption. It's because the way uh, it's a, it's the easy route to take, and people have assumed that uh, have always assumed the brain is like the most current uh, information technology, going back to a seal ring and wax for the <clears throat> from the ancient Greeks to a telegraph switching circuit to a hologram to a computer. And when the computer came along, ah, oh, the brain must be a computer. Neuronal firings are like bits. And when you get enough bits or complex enough bits arranged in the right way, that gives you consciousness. Well, that's just not the case. Uh, uh despite all this money, uh, well, people have started to map Uh, rather than the brain of a human or a mouse, which would take billions, if not trillions of dollars, they started with a simple worm where the entire nervous system is mapped. They replicated every neuron, every synapse, every ion channel, and did a simulation, and the worm just lays there. It doesn't work. There's something missing, something deeper. You have to go inside cells to cytoskeletal structures, which mediate quantum effects and also uh, other types of information processing. So... Uh, the paradigm, the prevalent parad- parad- paradigms, uh, are not necessarily data driven. There's no evidence that the brain functions exclusively as a computer.
0: All right, I, wanna, I wanted to save some of this for the second segment. I, I was want to try not, not to get into the consciousness debate until the second segment. Um, Michael, let me just sort of push back in a different way. It has nothing to do with consciousness. So, um, about one in ten Americans, uh, according to some studies, are uh, taking an antidepressant medication. So, an antidepressants. Uh, for mild depression, don't really necessarily outperform placebos. And for more profound depression, it kind of works like 30% of the uh, patients would get better on a placebo, 65% over long term would get better on an antidepressant, uh, and the remaining 35% just don't respond to to any kind of drug therapy that that anybody can find. When you look at that kind of meta analysis, it's kind of not what your doctor tells you, right? If he's prescribing or she's describing uh, antidepressants for you, they don't really sort of say, well, <laughs> there's a 30% chance you'd get better uh, the same way on a placebo. And, uh, and we're only really 35% better than that with a drug. And there's another 35% chance. I mean, it's still, it's, it's still, it's basically presented as kind of a medical certainty that's been verified in the ways that you've talked about. But it, it, at times seems to me that things that are far less certain, more mysterious, less conclusive and I mean these things don't work the way antibiotics work. You know, we understand. Yes, that's right. yep. So,
1: but yep. so talk of course, to, talk to about that. A to be fair to doctors, yeah. to be fair to doctors, it's you know, it, it, it's it's hard when you're sitting there in the office and, and your patient is saying, "Help me, doc. Help me. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm feeling, you know, really bad. I can barely get to work. I can barely function. My family life is falling apart. What what can I do?" Well, you know, the the doc can't just say, "Well, here take this." There's a, you know, a you know, thirty-five point two percent chance it's going to work, and, and the rest of it's not, you know maybe not going to work. You know, they just have to say, here, let's go with this, let's try this, let's see if that works. Let me know. You know, they try to be uh, uh, up uh, upbeat and, and, and uplifting because otherwise, to the extent that it might be a placebo for a lot of patients, it won't work if you take away the you know the placebo effect in that in that sense that you know we're going to try this, and uh, and the fact that it does work for some people. I mean, particularly for if uh, people that are so depressed or suicidal you know, it's almost a kind of a shock treatment. Like, you know, we have to do something. Uh, And the same is true to the extent with psychotherapy. There's no evidence that any of the talk therapies work better than any of the others, or even talking to a good friend, somebody who is a empathetic listener appears to be just as good for, uh, you know, most, um, you know, forms of, you know, sadness, depression, or neuroses uh, than, than any other talk therapy. Uh, the, The one difference is, is, um, cognitive uh, some some cognitive therapies that involve um, some things like phobias, you know, some very specific things that can be treated with cognitive behavioral therapy where you're actually doing a tried-and-true experimentally tested method. Those seem to work better than anything else. But for general malaise or somebody goes to a counselor because they're having marital problems or or sadness or problem, issues with their career or work or whatever, it doesn't really matter which one you go to. Uh, the, the number one predictor is how you feel about the person you're talking In the first five minutes. That seems uh, to be the best predictor.
2: So, feeling is consciousness, depression is consciousness, and antidepressants, uh, for example, Prozac, act uh, immediately on the membrane receptors but take two weeks to work because it takes two weeks for the cytoskeleton inside the neurons to rearrange in an appropriate way. So modern medicine is focusing, and and what Michael's representing is focusing on membrane receptors alone without looking inside the neurons into the cytoskeleton, which is where the information processing relevant to consciousness, mood, and feelings occur well no, I, 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 but, I want to, I
0: wanted to steward just, just for a second I just just to stay with what Michael's saying here for a second I mean um, a, a couple of thoughts that I had and Michael I'd be interested to hear what you uh, would say back to them first of all the thing that you said at the beginning about you know what do you say to somebody who's coming in and their life is ruined and nothing's working and they you know well of course a lot of things that are in that kind of broad expanse of woo-woo kind of work that way too right like I'm going yep. to see a t- traditional Chinese medicine because my arm hurts and the doctors aren't helping me nothing's helping me uh, so I, I'm gonna try acupuncture. I'm going to try Reiki. So so there's sort of that. And then the other thing is, and I'm reading from the National Institute of Mental Health website right now, for reasons that are not entirely clear, placebo effects have increased markedly over the past two decades in trials of psychiatric medications. So if we had Deepak Chopra here, and we did invite him, by the way, he'd say, well, so, Michael, what does that mean? You know, if placebos are working better and better, it means that the mind, when it believes it's healing, is healing. The mind can heal the mind. I, 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 yeah, well, I'm guessing that, what Deepak that, I don't know. That may not be what Deepak Chopra – I'm taking a wild guess.
1: Uh, well th- that might be what he, he would argue it 's hard to say but but to to that extent well of course, there could be other factors going on It could be we 're getting better at running those kinds of trials and experiments than we were decades ago as we get a better understanding of the placebo effect and how it works uh so and 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 as you understand it more, you may be capturing more people into your database of where it works, so it looks like it 's expanding a little bit like. Why, why there appears to be an epidemic of autism, as Donald Trump said in the debate the other night, uh, that's not true. There, 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 there's no increase in rates of autism. What it is is a, is, a, is an expansion of and more careful, defined uh, uh, definitions of autism. And so more and more people are being cataloged by doctors I- into the category of autism. So it looks like it's expanding when, in fact, it's not. So we have to be careful about those sorts of things. But uh, but again, with the placebo effect, it's one of those things we don't understand that well. So that opens the door for people to offer various theories, which is fine. That's how science works. Uh, but until we understand it, um, you know, doctors just have to kind of go along and just try to do the best they can, you know, and hope something works. For that particular person sitting right there, and they come back two weeks later and say, Well, I tried this and I'm feeling better. Okay, great. Well, then it worked for you. So, in that sense, when we say, Does something work? we mean it on two different levels. On a personal level, where you personally helped. And if you were, well, great, good, good for you. That's, you know, if your life is better, then w- w- everybody's happy about that. But in science, to say it worked, we need something more than that. We, we Just a few anecdotes aren't going to do it. We need to know under what conditions, for what percentage of people does it work for, what's the mechanism behind it, and, and so on. That's what science wants to know.
0: All right. We're, this is our woo-woo show. We're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back after this.
3: See? Think of slavery in the U.S. We don't usually think of Connecticut, but slavery happened here. The probate inventory mentions three cows, two barns, one enslaved Negro woman, and one Indian boy. Coming March 18th, a special series: Unforgotten, Connecticut's hidden history of slavery. Visit ctpublic.org/unforgotten.
2: Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture.
3: Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a -a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut, sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and MedSpa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org/pepin.
1: with the term woo-woo? Yes.
3: It uh, can be a description or a, a coded description of a body part. I, don't know, I think of kind of like Wicca and New Age, not a cult, but that sort of thing.
0: Having a belief in non-scientific vaguely uh, mystical cures or ideas.
4: I have no idea. You have no idea? No, I don't. Health, alternative energy, all
3: kinds of things like that.
0: Wait, why does this sound familiar? (laughs) Wait, hold on. Um,
2: No, I'm not familiar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... Uh, this is the Woo Woo Show. Now, not everything we're going to be talking about today is woo woo, but uh, some of it gets fought out that way. We are going to spend a little time right now talking about the whole question of consciousness and what is, in fact, referred to sometimes, and not just by the play- play- playwright Tom Stoppard, as the hard problem. The hard problem is, what is consciousness? Where is consciousness? We can't point to it. Uh, we can't see it uh, on a scan. Uh, it doesn't exist the way other scientific or medical phenomena exist. Uh, it's... um uh, it, it's almost impossible to talk about. But we know that it exists in us. We know that it doesn't exist in a plant or a table or at least, well, some people might say plants have consciousness, but most people would agree that they don't. So um, th- if you listen to the show a lot, you know that we do talk about this question from time to time. And Pat- Patricia Churchland has been on this show, I believe another Josh Nilea produced show. Patricia Churchland is probably the leading uh, proponent uh, of the notion that there's a strict biomedical explanation for consciousness. We just don't quite have it yet. But um, everything we don't know about consciousness is knowable at the biomedical level. Uh, that that uh, It's just a matter of coloring in the other spaces, and we'll be able to explain exactly how consciousness works the way we can explain, I don't know, how the cardiovascular system works or how, how other aspects of the the neural system work. Uh, now, there are other people who say, no, that's not going to really cut it. That's, um, or, or that the probability is that just as physics was transformed over the course of about 50 to 75 years by the general theory of relativity, by quantum mechanics, by understandings uh, of different different quantum states, we may wind up understanding consciousness differently, either in terms of quantum states or field theory or that it, it it may be that we don't really have the right theory to talk about consciousness yet or that we're not using the theories we have the right way. So that's where Stuart Hamroff comes in. Uh, you've been hearing him uh, chime in with my conversation with Michael Shermer. I'm going to get, let him uh, ideally, in the most layman oriented terms possible, layperson oriented terms possible, explain what he, an anesthesiologist and professor at the University of Arizona uh, uh, thinks of as quantum consciousness. So Stuart Hamroff, the floor is yours. Uh, this out for us as best you can.
2: But most people would say, including Patricia Churchill, the brain is a computer, and neurons connect to other neurons by synapses, like bits connect to other bits in a computer. And when you get sufficient complex computation, you get consciousness. That's not how it happens. Uh, I am an anesthesiologist, and we know that consciousness goes away with anesthesia and comes back when the anesthetic gas is... Uh, blown off, and that's because the anesthetic gases get into the brain into regions inside the neuron, not in the membrane, even. Well, they bind to the membrane, but get inside to structures, cytoskeletal uh, structures called microtubules, which we believe, Roger Penrose and I, are quantum devices. And there's actually good evidence for that from uh, MIT and Japan that these structures are quantum resonators and the anesthesia blocks just the quantum effects. So a brain under anesthesia is still active. You have EEG, you have evoked potentials, what goes away specifically is consciousness and that happens by quantum effects of the anesthetic gases they don't form chemical bonds they don't form uh... covalent bonds uh... they form only uh... very low uh... low energy uh, quantum interactions and you block the quantum coherence in the microtubules and consciousness goes away now uh... michael has been among those calling this woo woo he's attacked us in scientific american uh... called me a quack in scientific american years ago and he really doesn't have a clue about what consciousness is and i don't think he knows what life is either because more and more evidence suggests that life itself is a quantum effect and what that means is that as you uh... the quantum means that as you go down in scale although the cutoff isn't really known it can vary you get different sets of laws. So in our everyday world, we have Newton's laws, we have electromagnetism and so forth, and everything's predictable. But at small scales, things can be in multiple places at the same time. They can be connected over distance, hence non-locality, and they can condense into unitary features like coherence as the unity of the mind is. We're one There's one consciousness inside each of our heads, despite the fact we have billions and billions of neurons. So uh, the quantum paradigm is becoming more and more important for not just consciousness, but life itself. And I kind of resent being uh, categorized as woo-woo because I think our theory is the most evidence-based uh, theory, and it's the only one that's even testable. You couldn't even test the proposition that the brain is a is a computer. People have been talking about this as, it's an, as it's a done deal for, for decades, but it's not. It can't even be tested, whereas we know now that that uh, our theory of quantum effects being important for consciousness, which implies non-locality, can be tested and has been tested and shown to be uh, true in, for example, six out of 20 testable predictions. The other one's still up for grabs. All right. right?
0: Now, before we run out of time, I I do want to hear Michael Shermer respond to this. So, um, Michael, explain what, what it is that you object to about this way of thinking about consciousness. (laughs)
1: <laughs> after I've been told I know nothing about what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I didn't say that. <laughs> Uh, what I said in my Scientific American article, which was actually a critique of a film called "What the Bleep Do We Know?", mm-hmm. and, and this is where uh, the woo-woo comes in, is that if you take an you take an idea like uh, what Stuart just described, like there might be qu- he thinks there's definitely quantum effects inside neurons. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but but even if there are, that doesn't mean that the psychic power is real, that people can read each other's minds, that you can move objects with with your thoughts, things like that. And that's where that movie, "What the Bleep." do we know went too far on that's that's sliding from you know speculative scientific Hypotheses that are testable to something that is, you know, way way out there, and and I don't think that Stewart's doing that. I don't think he's gone down the woo woo route at all. Uh, I, I I have to say though that if you go to these conferences on consciousness, that um, uh, Penrose and and Hameroff's theory of you know quantum consciousness is just one of many. Um, no one has a scientific consensus yet. There is none on consciousness, so it is up for grabs, and so this is kind of the wild west. Of science right now, what explains consciousness? Now, for starters, you can read someone like um, uh, Oliver Sacks's books, uh, and uh, you know he talks about very specific things that happen in the brain due to damage, stroke, injury, d- disease, and so forth. Like, for example, in your fusiform in your temporal lobes is a little area called the fusiform gyrus that does nothing but recognize faces. If that area is damaged, the neurons are damaged due to stroke or disease or injury. Uh, People get face blindness. They can no longer recognize faces. They don't even recognize themselves in the mirror in some extreme conditions. And So this is an an example of evidence that without the neurons, without the hardware, there is no software. There is no consciousness. There is no function. There is no mind, whatever word you want to use. No brain, no mind. You know, when Aunt Millie's mind dies of uh, Alzheimer's or senility, the brain shrinks. The neurons die. The whole thing goes away. The memories go with it. Uh, uh, the idea that consciousness exists separately from brains I'm not saying this is what Stuart believes, but this general idea that, that slides into the woo woo area is that consciousness is floating out there somewhere in well, the great beyond. Actually, let's, of,
0: let's go to Stuart on that. Okay, so Stuart, um, is it. Uh,
2: let, me, let me respond. Well, let, let me just. Neurons die when you get Alzheimer's, your neurons die and your microtubules fall apart. In fact, in Alzheimer's, microtubules disassemble and you get neurofibrillary tangles, and the microtubules fall apart, and those neurons don't function. So the quantum coherence that would be in those microtubules is no longer there. So that goes for any neurological disease. Now, we've been testing ultrasound because microtubules have megahertz resonances, and we've shown that putting ultrasound, which is painless and safe, into the brain, Resonates the microtubules and makes in, improves mood.
0: All right, Stuart, I just, I just, before we get too deeply in the weeds here because I, the time is limited, let me just ask you about one thing that Michael brought up because he didn't attribute this to you, but I, I'd like to know how you do feel about it. That notion that consciousness predates the existence, of, it, the existence of the brain and of mankind, that consciousness created the brain rather than the other way around. Is that anywhere in your ballpark?
2: Yes uh... i think actually following roger penrose's idea that that quantum collapse self-collapse called objective reduction due to instabilities in space-time geometry give rise to primitive uh... feelings and that these feelings occurred in the primordial soup uh... billions of years ago and actually prompted the spark of life Uh, i have a chapter on that and roger and i are are elaborating on that and I'll take it. I'll take it further. When the the body dies, we have lots of uh, ev- uh, reports. I won't say evidence. Reports of out of body experiences and so forth. And we don't know whether uh, these are vertical or not. But if consciousness is a quantum process that occurs. Uh, in the, in the structure of the universe, then it's possible that consciousness can exist outside the body, that you can have ESP, that you could have out of body experiences, and even an afterlife is possible. I'm not claiming that. I don't claim any evidence. Many people do. I'm just saying we have to keep an open mind because until we can explain consciousness in the brain, we can't exclude it out of the brain. And I think, you know, Michael makes fun of this, he belittles it, but uh, again, uh, we don't know, and I think it's it's possible from the scientific standpoint.
0: All right, we're going to have to pause here. We're going to take a break. I want to thank Stuart Hemroff very much. We're going to come back uh, and look at the area, a little, a little bit more in the area of self-help, how we get through life while we are alive and our consciousness is still sitting somewhere in the vicinity of our brains.
2: Yes, That pseudoscience is bad for us. Astrology is not real, Bigfoot's fake. Your blood isn't blue when you don't blow up in space. Megalodons not around, no mermaids. You believe in those things, but not climate change? Pseudoscience played you for money. When it comes to weight loss, we act like dummies. dummies. Hyped up products that never worked. Pseudoscience is a jerk. Pseudoscience spreads phony information. Autism linked to certain vaccinations. Parents scared said no to needles of people now infected with the measles consequences of denying science but pseudoscience will deny it. when evidence is fishy don't believe it may be pseudoscience out to deceive protect your loved ones protect your money pseudoscience was to get everybody arm yourselves with knowledge and that science then use that science as your guidance
0: Right. We're talking about uh, the term woo woo today and talking kind of about um, how, who controls the pipeline, you know, who controls the flow. How do we decide what's considered to be woo woo, which is sort of unscientific, maybe pseudoscientific, maybe too spiritual and not empirical enough, uh, and what is on the other side of that, which would be all the empirical, scientifically accredited stuff. Uh, and our guests have included Stuart Hamroth, uh, who has uh, departed, but uh, who is an anesthesiologist and a believer in quantum consciousness. Uh, Michael Shermer, science writer, historian, and founder of the Skeptics Society. He's uh, the author of a dozen books, including the New York Times bestselling The Believing Brain and The Moral Arc. Uh, And we're also about to talk right now to Jess Tomlinson, a life coach out of Las Vegas who created what's called Radiant Self-Care. Um, so this is. We're now about to move into an area of, of that 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 whole area known as self care, self help, and and there are um, a, a lot of disciplines within here or strains, ideas. uh, Pursuits that that get into this area, whether it's the secret—I mean, everybody knows about the secret by now—or or or the work Byron Katie's thing, there are um, there are ideas that might fall into that category, generally understood as woo-woo. So, just Tomlinson, uh, I want to start with you. Michael's still with us, but uh, one of the reasons we wanted you to be on today was because of a video you made and posted on YouTube, which sort of rhymes with woo-woo. But it's uh, in which you sort of deplored—you deplored. the, the, the currency of this term woo, the fact that it's tossed around quite frequently. What bothers you about it?
4: Oh, gosh, Colin, <laughs> so much bothers me about the term woo-woo. But the main reason I made that video is actually my concern with people in my own industry. And when I say industry, I mean self-help, um, coaching, life coaching industry um, for people using it um, Freely in a way that I think is really harming us. And, and for me, what woo-woo means is feelings. And when we demean feelings, what happens is we take away that aspect of our own self-power to um, really step into a place inside ourselves where we can um, tap into what I call body wisdom. So for me, my own experience, I suffered from horrendous debil- debilitating um, stomach pains for several years that would leave me um, curled over, throwing up. Um, You know, I went to gastrointestinal doctors, had an endoscopy, and they found nothing. And, of course, they're asking me, do you eat spicy foods? Um, And the answer was always no. Um, Until finally, about five years ago, I started really learning how to relax. And that's really all that um, I am an advocate of, is taking our bodies from this place as, you know, we're so connected. We have social media. Um, we have demands in the workplace in corporate America where we're so stressed out to um, coming back to this place of calm. And so my beef with woo is that we are diminishing the value of our own feelings. And for me, they were very real, right? Like I was throwing up, I had these horrible stomach pains, and it wasn't until I was able to bring myself down to this place of feeling relaxed, and that was initially through um, meditation that um, these stomach pains for me went away.
0: All right, so um, uh, uh, Michael, uh, well, this is also interesting. And Peter Sokolowski from Merriam-Webster is often a, a guest on our show. Uh, and woo, woo I don't know if it's in the dictionary yet, but my guess is that it's something we haven't really quite worked out the exact denotative and connotative meanings about. But we certainly wouldn't want a world so sterile, so completely attached to science and scientific results and empiricism that people were encouraged to discount their um their own feelings. And I hear Jess Tomlinson talking, and it's a little bit like Andrew Weil, right? Andrew Weil famously says, "If I'm a, in a car accident, take." Me me to the medical center where they practice the most high-tech medical medicine available. That's what I want. I want. I want to be kept alive. I don't want to be brought to somebody Ayurvedic or somebody who's going to explore my mind-body connection. I want to be kept alive. But she did the endoscopy uh, or, or the colonoscopy or whatever it was, and, and but she also thinks there's a feelings component in that. Um, how troubled or not troubled are you by that?
1: Well, again, earlier I said uh, to make the d- distinction between what works for me versus what works for you know a scientific concept And uh, for her that the fact that uh, uh, th- this techniques that she used to make herself feel better, it worked great that's good you know, stomach's not causing her problems anymore. Okay, whatever it takes, that's fine. But for, for science to say, we now know that if you have these six symptoms, you know, with 90% certainty, we can say that if you do exactly what she did, it'll work. I doubt it. Uh, And that's the problem. It's not like being taken to the ER where they know for sure that they need to give you a bag of blood and some saline and and fix the broken arm and and so forth. It's not like that in these subjective areas where it's kind of open. We don't know. Uh, That's the problem with these kind of big categories like autism. We don't know what the cause is. And so that leaves it wide open for lots of different modalities, diet and whatever. Uh, And same thing with these uh, autoimmune diseases that we don't fully understand, or these chronic fatigue type disorders that are given that label, but they're kind of a catch all category. You know a, a person presents with a set of symptoms that don't fit in any any accepted category. So what do you do? And again, the doctor is sitting there going, "Well, gosh, I don't know. Let's try this. Let's try that." Uh, and then when the patient says, "Well, it worked, okay, great. But we don't know for sure that what worked for her is going to work for, you know, 95 out of 100 patients that have these six symptoms or whatever. So, um,
0: Jess, you know I'm very sympathetic to a lot of things that are called woo-woo, and I'm I'm more open to um, to explorations of consciousness that, that Michael might feel as though were a very kind of unproven ground. I I, I think the the level of theoretical research, um, I, I think that's great. If I have a concern about woo-woo, it's that sometimes people's feelings get substituted for sound judgments, and I really have had some conversations online with people who say, well, you know, in terms of this anti vaccine stuff and maybe a cause. I think we ought to be open. We ought to be open. I I, ha- I have a feeling maybe that that's right. And to me, well, no, you should get your kid vaccinated. You know, it's dangerous not to get your kid vaccinated. So in that area, I might be the kind, of I wouldn't use the term woo-woo, but I feel as though maybe we are talking about an area where people are willing to discard science at their peril or maybe the peril of people around them. What's your reaction to that?
4: Yeah, I... I definitely hear you. And I think that the biggest important thing to remember here is to empower yourself. Um, So I'm all for, you know, you have to do what works for you, but do the research and try it, try it out. Um, And my philosophy and what I tell my clients is, you know, if you don't try, you'll never know. You only know what you know. And for me, I speak from my own personal experience. And sometimes that's enough to give somebody hope to at least open their mind and try these so-called, you know, woo-woo um, different modalities of healing. Now, for me, they're not woo-woo. And what I have healed from is totally not woo-woo. And, and the reason that I say that is, for me, it is scientific. Um, I use Dr. Alyssa Rankin. She wrote a book called Mind Over Medicine. And for me, I never knew why my stomach pains went away until I read that book. And it made complete sense because she talks about the difference between the stress response and the relaxation response in our body. Now, you know, I was in corporate America for 10 years, busting my ass, working really hard, completely stressed out. Um, So, of course, my body was in the stress response. And when it's in the stress response, right, like the body releases cortisol and um, I was getting sick all the time. Now, what's pretty amazing is now that I've been able to practice these different modalities, such as meditation. Now, I do a lot of other things as well, um, which is what I call radiance. Um, But through these different um, modalities, such as eating better, meditating, doing yoga, um, releasing expectations of what people think that I should be doing or saying and really just being myself, I haven't been sick in three years. I haven't taken a medication. So it, it For me, it is very real and scientific, and it comes back to my body. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't, you know, go to the doctor and get these things checked out. By all means, I'm all for modern-day medicine. But what I think is important is to remember to consider your other options. Um, and to figure out what works for you.
0: All right. Uh, first of all, just Tomlinson, thank you so much. Um, in, in 45 seconds, Michael Shermer, I mean, in a way, what she's responding to, I mean, I think one reason there's integrative medicine and that I can get Reiki at the Cleveland Clinic is partly because maybe modern medicine was a li- got a little too sterile, too, here's the Z pack. go home, take that, call me, and and not aware. I mean, we are bigger things than that, right? We are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so you got 30 seconds now to, to yeah, wrap so up. Yeah, so
1: two things. One, first of all, of course- lots of people work in corporate America. They work on Wall Street and they thrive. They love it. They love the pressure and the stress and they have no physical problems as a result of that. So clearly, you know, people are different. Bodies are different and respond to stress in different ways. Second, the problem of saying, well, what's the harm? Uh, you know, if the doc, if my dog can't fix it, wh- why can't I just turn to one of these alternative ones? Which one? If you spend any time in the alternative complementary world, you'll see there's hundreds and hundreds of these different modalities, and none of which have been proven to, to work better than any of the others. So which one do you pick? I Michael, pick
0: I'm one? just going to have to wrap it there. Thank you so much for your help on this. Okay, that's the end of the show. And thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow unless, for some reason, we, we don't show up.